According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are once again in Proverbs chapter 5. We're almost done with Proverbs chapter 5. Let's uh, return to where we are. We're looking at verses 20 through 23. Before that, though, we've got uh, 15 through 19, and we're kind of dealing with uh, both. There's uh, bosoms you should be exhilarated with and bosoms you should not be exhilarated with. And uh, it's spelled out here in, uh, in this chapter. It gets pretty blunt, it gets pretty direct, and it needs to be. And uh, that's how you uh, make it clear to a young person that uh, the Lord uh, is serious about this. So this is that he has a plan for your life, and that includes your sex life. And he has all of this designed in the creation of humanity and the provision of marriage in terms of uh, one man and one woman. Uh, no matter what uh, Chief Justice, uh, what's his name, might talk about or some Supreme Court ruling that decides to redefine what God designed thousands of years before we ever had a Supreme Court in any event. I'm going to pray and make sure I'm in fellowship before I, if I say too much more about uh, the Supreme Court. I might go cardinal. So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Ask the Father to bless our time in his word today. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together this morning. I thank you for your faithfulness, Father. Day after day, moment after moment, you are faithful. And you are faithful once again this morning to open up our eyes to the truth, to give us the ears to hear to set aside distractions, to hedge us about and protect us, Father. I do thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. As we are talking about the positive imperatives, we understand the Bible is more than just a list of prohibitions. It's not just a list of don't do, don't do, don't do. There's plenty of those, of course. Uh, But the Bible also contains the positive imperatives. Obviously, every form of fornication is off limits. Uh, all the negative imperatives throughout Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20. Uh, we added to that Deuteronomy 22 as well. Uh, every form of fornication is prohibited, but marital sex is commanded. And it's commanded repeatedly in, uh, via positive imperatives in Proverbs chapter 5, Genesis chapter 2, Song of Solomon, many places throughout Song of Solomon where marital sexual activity is celebrated and glorified. 1 Corinthians 7, 3, where it's actually referred to as a duty. And uh, then Hebrews 13, 4, my favorite, is Hebrews 13, 4, because it's uh, so blunt, it's so spelled out that marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. And the marriage bed is where the activity takes place that is uh, referenced there as fornication and adultery, because it says fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And so we identify that for what it is. There is marriage and there is the marriage bed, and you cannot separate them as uh, this world loves to do. All right, so in this, we uh, are going now verse by verse, 15 through 19, and we realize when it says, drink water from your own cistern, that we're not talking about water. It is a metaphor. We're talking about sex. And uh, within marriage, drink water from your own cistern. If you have a cistern or you have a well, both the terms are used there in verse 1, because uh, the second part, or in verse 15, 
drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. The metaphor is repeated twice, showing you the variety of this, but the cistern and the well means your spouse, all right? And given that it's written to a male perspective, uh, the, the, the cistern or the well would, in the metaphor, represent the wife. It represents the woman in the man-woman combination of sexual activity. So uh, you have your own. That is your wife, and that's yours, and every other woman on the planet is not yours, <laughs> all right? And uh, that's how this works. Uh, so drinking is a metaphor. Drinking water is a metaphor, and in this application, it represents sex. If we're talking about uh, the woman at the well, and we're talking about the living water and the message there, it's also a reference to drinking uh, water, but it's not a sexual reference. In that application, it's faith. It is a faith application in terms of believing in Christ is uh, drinking the living water. Or in John 6, it's uh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, different metaphors that the Lord employs there. In any event, that doesn't confuse us, hopefully, as long as we stay in the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Song of Solomon and, and uh, Ecclesiastes and so forth. All of these pa- and Psalms, all of these passages from the wisdom literature will employ uh, this uh, metaphor in the sexual way related to marriage. The cistern and the well are personal, protected, and proprietary. Personal, protected, and proprietary. That is proper. It, it is appropriate. It is the place that sex should take place. That's the proper place that sex should take place between a husband and a wife in marriage. But it's personal. It's yours. It belongs to you. Possessive. There's another P I should have put in there. Personal, possessive. Okay, protected. Remember, what's the nature of a well? What's the nature of a cistern? It's not just, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crafted by the hand of man in order to provide a safe, protected, clean source for water. It's not just walking along and finding a lake and, and deciding to, to dunk your head under and start drinking water from the lake or plunging your head in the ocean and drinking salt water from the ocean or whatever. Not even springs. Now, there are springs. We're going to see springs in verse 16. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Uh, the, the metaphor of springs and streams is that if you don't control them, they're not controlled. And when they're not controlled, it's dangerous. It's deadly even. Uncontrolled water is dangerous. Diseased water is dangerous. Poisoned water. I mean, we need water to live, but think how easily water can kill you if there's too much of it or if it's uncontrolled, if it's uh, dirty in that, in that respect. The diseased water will kill you quicker than anything. So we have the, the metaphor as it applies here. So it's personal, it's protected, it's proprietary by fashioning the well, by digging the well, by um, lining the, uh, the cistern, um, you are uh, creating a realm in which the water remains pure, in which it becomes useful, in which it is life-saving, in which it is beneficial. See, then you can do all kinds of things with it. Then you can irrigate with it, you can pipe it places, you can construct aqueducts, you can, you can harness the blessings of water as God designed it. Secondly, uncontrolled water is wasteful and deadly. This was the rebuke that Jacob gave to Reuben in Genesis 49.4. said that he was uncontrolled as water and he lost his firstborn status uh, as, uh, because of his sexual uh, immorality, because of his failure in that regard. Um, so Proverbs 5, 
16. Should your springs be dispersed abroad? Uh, Does this activity belong at home or abroad? The contrast is home and abroad, all right? And uh, the answer is not abroad, at home. Streams of water in the streets. Home is where this blessing occurs, not abroad and not in the streets. The reason why we have uh, uh, different homes <laughs> um, on different homes on the same street, but your home is uh, is where you need to be with your wife, not uh, down the street with somebody else's wife. The flow, point C. Now the flow. Let them be yours and yours alone, not for strangers with you. This is where see that the whole metaphor of this is concerned with where the water's going. All right, where's the water going? Is it just dispersed abroad? Is it an uncontrolled fountain that's just spraying water everywhere? You know, like a, a broken sprinkler head on the in the church uh, uh, water system. <laughs> you know, uh, that's a problem. If the if the sprinkler head's broken and then it's just spewing water everywhere, it's uncontrolled. It's not doing the proper irrigation at the proper time on the schedule that the irrigation system is programmed for. So where's the water going? Is it just roaming in the streets? Think about that. Streams of water in the streets. We've got these gang bangers, these, these hoodlums, and, and what is they're, they're roaming the streets, aren't they? That's streams of water in the streets. They don't even know who their daddy is, but there's streams of water are roaming in the streets. And uh, society crumbles as a consequence. So where do the streams go? Where does the water go? Are you conserving the water? Are you preserving the water? Are you storing it in the cistern where it is uh, appropriate, where it can be clean, where it can be useful? Where does the stream go? Well, the flow between cistern well springs and streams must be contained within the prescribed proprietary protection. It's yours alone and not for strangers with you. That's where it belongs. That's exactly where it belongs. Not for strangers with you. By definition, by definition, sex with strangers is not what God designed. All right? And I realize it's kind of flying in the face of of our uh, pagan culture these days. But if it's it's meaningless, if it's casual, if it's this one-night stand thing and you, you don't even know her name until, you know, the next morning or whatever, that's not right. It's a, that's a stranger. And the, the idiom, uh, the, the expression that's used when Adam has sex with his wife is Adam knew his wife. Abraham knew Sarah. That it is the, the, uh, the language of, of intercourse between, within marriage is knowing. It is the pinnacle of intimacy where you know your spouse, where your spouse knows you. And it is the most intimate of all knowing. And the idea that we're going to separate that away from the the physical activity, that we're going to separate out the spiritual component, the soul component of procreation, is uh, is, is damaging, it's destructive. And yet the world uh, will constantly say, oh, come on, there's no harm in it, it's beneficial, it's good, uh, it's uh, whatever, whatever, you know, physically relaxing and blah, blah, blah. And they deny there are any consequences. No, 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 there's no consequences. There's no soul attachments, even though the Bible says there are soul attachments in the activity. So how can you know one whom you don't know? It's like, it's like an, a contradiction of terms, like jumbo shrimp. It's just, it's, it's, it's backwards, it's upside down. It's uh, a military intelligence sometimes. Or uh, we talk about uh, a married bachelor. How do you have a married bachelor? By definition, you can't. See, and so sex with strangers is, is knowing who you don't know. 
and that's um, that's uh, internally uh, self-contradictory and illogical. So uh, that's verse 17 there, the flow between the cistern and the uh, the well. The blessed fountain. The blessed fountain is God's reward for marital fidelity. The blessed fountain is God's reward for marital fidelity. Proverbs 5.18, we can relate it over to Ecclesiastes 9.9, Malachi 2.14 and 15. Interesting, of course, in Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon is writing about what he never could possess. What he, he had a thousand women and never could uh, enjoy the capacity of a blessed fountain. His fountain was not blessed because of, of his, his violation of God's uh, standards and design. So let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And this is the capacity we have for soul enjoyment, the capacity that a man and woman have that fosters, that grows, that is uh, better and better as the years go by because God is blessing it. And it's more than just the um, it's more than just the, the lack of diseases and consequences and so forth. Uh, we, we talked earlier about the, um, the groaning in verse 11 when your flesh and your body are consumed and the damage that's done sexually when you submit yourself to uh, the destruction of uh, venereal diseases and, and the other consequences there. More than that, this is a positive blessing. It's not just a, the absence of cursing. Does that make sense? It's more than just not having a disease or not getting pregnant or, you know, Planned Parenthood and all these groups that talk about, well, safe sex, you know, and if you, if you have a condom, then you're not going to get pregnant, you're not going to get a disease, and that's a lie. But um, as if we just do away from the negative consequences, then everything's great. Wrong. God has put in a formula whereby he blesses your fountain. And if you want to have a blessed fountain, this is how you get it. And, uh, and all the rest. So, positive blessing. Ecclesiastes 9.9. 9. Again, you'll notice, rejoice in the wife of your youth. And, uh, you know, maybe she's not as youthful as she used to be, but neither are you. <laughs> all right? But, but she was who she was, and you are who you are, and were, and, and uh, we grow old together. And the rejoicing just gets better every time. Uh, remember Ecclesiastes 9.9. 9. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 9.9. Enjoy life. See, here's, even from a human viewpoint perspective in Ecclesiastes, he says in verse 7, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Here is success in earthly life. You've worked, you've stored up, you've laid up goods, your soul is happy, you're like that guy in the Gospels that his barns are full, he's thinking, I need some bigger barns. All right, and that's all you're living for is the food you're eating, the wine you're drinking. Life is good. Life is good because it's uh, whatever. T-bone steak instead of hamburger meat or whatever. I don't know. I like hamburger meat, but there it is. Um, let your clothes be white all the time. Isn't that something? You're so wealthy, you can, you can launder your garments and, and you can swap out your clothes and let not oil be lacking on your head. What, what do you not have? Everything is taken care of. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. Life is short enough anyway, so there you go. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored 
under the sun. And so there you are. Life is short enough and it's good to share it with somebody and this is what God has provided. And so even an unbeliever can identify with the benefits and blessings of monogamy and faithfulness in marriage and the, uh, the benefits of uh, the laws of divine establishment. Finally, Malachi 2, verses 14 and 15. This is how the Old Testament comes to a close. Malachi 2, 14 and 15. Chapter 2 is the I hate divorce chapter. Verse 13, he says, This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. And here's a believer who thinks that, well, if I just get emotional enough, then my Christianity is worth something. And if I'll, you know, I cry and I show how sincere I am and how sorry I am, then, then I'm going to confuse my emotionalism with true repentance. All right? Regret is not repentance, as we've taught many times. Yet you say, for what reason? Why is it that my prayer life is rotten? Why is it that uh, my, my spiritual life isn't on track? Well, because you have an outward phony show of religion, but you're, uh, you're not walking right before the Lord. Verse 14, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion, and your wife by covenant. Your wife by covenant. It's more than just she is your companion. See, and all the the marriage controversy today is all wrapped up in companionship and failing to identify the wife by covenant component of how we as a man and a woman are vowing before the Lord in covenant one to another. Verse 15, but not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. You know, the damage you do to your soul or to your spirit in this verse when you are treacherous towards the wife of your youth. So there is a spiritual component to this. But the blessed fountain, the best fountain is not only in the, the, the marital activity, but in the consequences of the marital activity. It is the, the intimacy that the husband and wife share together. It is their blessing to raise up that next generation. It is the stability that that generation is provided as they are raised up under a father and a mother in the home. And it prepares them to step forth in into their own generation in that regard. All right, back to Proverbs 5 then. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times and be exhilarated always with her love. And this is the sexual love, the dode, all right? Let her breasts satisfy you at all times and be exhilarated always with her love. The positive command. God designed the act of marriage to be satisfying, there's your first verb, and exhilarating, there's your second verb. God designed the act of marriage to be satisfying and exhilarating. That's how it's designed, that's how it's blessed. If we lose our capacity to uh, identify with that, then there's a spiritual dynamic at work, we've got to get right with the Lord, all right, so that we can be satisfied and exhilarated in the means that God designed. 
satisfying and exhilarating. All right, well, twin principles there, okay? Uh, Satisfaction, okay, as in all things. What Satan will twist, what he'll manipulate, what he'll say, oh, come on, this will be better. We're going to see that in chapter 6 when we start to see the temptations. We start to see the, the words of the seductress when she says, oh, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret, right? Oh, come on, it'll be fun. There's a thrill with uh, sneaking around. There's a thrill with, with whatever. Come on, you need some variety. All of that is Satan's lie that says you're not satisfied with what God's provided for you, right? It's like uh, man shall not live by bread alone in the temptation there when Satan was tempting the Lord in different appetite, of course, but it's still, it's an appetite concept. Whether it's food or sex or whatever it may be, God's provided us legitimate appetites in these regards. And he's provided us what should satisfy us in these regards. And if we listen to Satan in terms of what we think needs to satisfy us, then we're going to fall in all kinds of evil related to those things. No, it is satisfying. And if it's not, I better ask myself, why not? Why is it that I've damaged my soul to the point where this is no longer satisfying the way that it used to be? Okay, And ask myself, why not? Come to that conclusion. And uh, in some cases, it's not going to be difficult to do. If we're honest with ourselves and identify with what we're doing that's causing us to be dissatisfied, then... There's other issues that happen there. I mean, the, um, <laughs> the horrible things about, well, you know, they, they were recommending on, and I know you don't watch these shows, it's not Divine Viewpoint, but you have a talk show or you have a, a, a human viewpoint perspective and they're recommending uh, cohabitation before marriage. And that way you can learn whether you're compatible or not. And, and you get to learn about compatibility and, oh, isn't that better than just making a bad mistake and marrying the wrong person too young before you find out if you're even compatible? And I thought, oh my goodness, how insane has this world become? And uh, different things there. Well, they have so redefined what God has supplied, seeing what God has designed it for. Even this concept of compatibility and well, what if it's what if it's not any good, you know? And and and, and they're, of course they're all talking about the physical. They're talking about whatever, talking about this long string of X's and all these. And what they're doing is they're taking this long string of X's with them to the altar. And they finally do get married, and they finally do go to bed and whatever. But they've got this long string of X's behind them. And think of the damage they're doing now. Any applications there? All right, but satisfaction lost through all kinds of fantasy, satisfaction lost through pornography, satisfaction lost through whatever, and uh, destroying their capacity is what they're doing. Destroying their capacity. And, and just tragic. <laughs> Used to uh, The uh, favorite thing for sheriff's department officers to do is go to the strip clubs on Friday nights and then uh, come back on Monday and tell their war stories and whatever else. And it's just, and a fellow confessing to me and asking, well, I'm starting to have a problem in my marriage. Well, maybe, you know, this place you're going on Friday nights, what are you doing? In any event, and you find that, well, you know, yeah, yeah, you start looking at all that stuff and and then you go home and it's ho-hum and humdrum and boring and whatever. What are you doing? Poisoning your mind is what you're doing. You're putting images in your eyes is what you're doing. The eyes are a gate to the soul. 
not only satisfying, okay? He could have stopped there. He could have stopped there, right? He didn't. He didn't just say it's satisfying. It's also exhilarating, intoxifying, uh, or intoxicating, I guess. It's, it's uh, orgasmic, okay? It is, it, is, it, is, it is fun. Not just satisfying, but fun. You know, you think about, um, and I don't know, why, why did God design food the way that he did? Why did he design, you know, he could have made us all cows, <laughs> sheep, goats, or whatever. We could have, he could have designed our digestive tract where we could just go out and eat grass, and, and, and that would be satisfying. We could be content. We could be nutritious. I mean, we could gain the nourishment we need. Uh, we could be, you know, like earthworms and absorb something, you know, minerals through our skin as we crawl through the dirt. Uh, what fun, okay? But no, he, God designed us with taste buds. Isn't that great? We have taste buds on our tongues. We have, I mean, it's just, think about that. And think about how the different things taste and sweet and sour and salty and bitter and all the, 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 the thrill, how great God is to, to give us, uh, yeah, uh, things to appreciate, capacity to, to appreciate, capacity to enjoy different things. It's not just satisfying, it's exhilarating. It's exhilarating, see. And that's the nature of the provision within marriage. All right, It doesn't require sleeping around with a thousand different people. All right, one man, one woman, satisfying and exhilarating, and more and more and more through the years, you understand. Anyway, there's other things you can do there. The, the word studies, we're not going to go into today, but the, the exhilaration, the, uh, it's, it's even, there's some renana uh, vocabulary terms in ranan, the verb, and, and then renana as a noun, and some other expressions. Job uses it. Job not only curses the, morning, the, the, the day of his birth, Job curses the night of his conception. He, he curses the day he was physically born and the night that his parents um, exhilarated, all right? And he curses both nights in uh, his discouragement over the testing that he's going through. And uh, different applications there. All right. Now, verses 20 through 23. The rhetorical why question. The rhetorical why question has no good answer. So under point eight, I want to take us from 20 to the end of the chapter. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated? It's the same term from the verse before. Why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? When God has designed marriage in such a way, and God has designed for satisfaction and exhilaration, why are you departing from what God designed to obtain exhilaration elsewhere? And you'll note there's exhilaration and there's embracing, I don't see any satisfaction in verse 20. All right? When you are departing from the will of God to find something else other than what He designed, other than what He provided, the exhilaration verb is repeated from verse 19. That's there in verse 20. You can be exhilarated with somebody not your wife. But the, the satisfaction isn't there. It's missing. It's in verse 19, it's not in verse 20. 
The fact is, promiscuity never satisfies. Our soul is not designed to be satisfied by promiscuity. And so embracing the bosom of a foreigner, of a stranger, that's not your bosom. God gave you a bosom. She's back home. What are you doing here? (laughs) Why are you in this part of town? Or why are you uh, doing this when you're out of town or whatever? Okay? That's the difference again between abroad and in the streets. So here's the why question. Why? And he doesn't stop and wait for an answer. And the son gives no answer. There is no answer for this rhetorical why question. The answer is because I'm a sinner and I'm defying the will of God. Okay? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. Oh, come on. It's only sex. God doesn't care about that. It's personal. It's private. You know, leave my private life out of this. I can still be a good president, you know, or whatever. Trying to separate out uh, a sex life from uh, a, a public life. Can't do it. It goes to your character. It goes to the damage of your soul. It goes to your lack of self-control. If you are that fragile, spiritually speaking, and uncontrolled as water. All right. You know, there used to be. <laughs> in generations gone by, I don't want to mope over the bygone good old days. But used to be uh, an adulterer uh, would, would be fired, would be removed from business. Uh, a board of directors would say, you, you don't need to be our CEO. You, you, you are exhibiting uh, an uncontrolled lifestyle and, and you don't have the discipline. If, if you're going to cheat on your wife, what are you going to do to the company? What are you going to do to the stockholders? What are you going to do if, uh, if you are a, a deceptive, untrustworthy person? We don't want you in our, in our company. And uh, that's, that's, those are days gone by <laughs> when it comes down to it. Uh, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all, not just some or most, or the important ones, all, he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cords of his sin. Leaving the plan of God becomes addictive. It becomes controlling. It becomes enslaving. That's why when you violate his provision for alcohol, there's the enslavement of drunkenness. You violate his design for sex, there is the enslavement of promiscuity. You you violate his design for anything. It becomes controlling. And you just made an idol out of it. Instead of you being in charge, it's now in charge of you. And he will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. So there's the, uh, the conclusion to it. When the Father of lights has bestowed perfect satisfaction and exhilaration, why desire alternatives? Why desire alternatives? Remember, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. This would be good to consider as a young person, good to consider as you're uh, growing up in your parents' home and preparing to leave and depart to your own generation. 
Part of leaving father and mother, of course, is cleaving to one another and the two become one flesh. Identifying the fact that you are departing from the child capacity and now entering into the adult capacity uh, on a marital basis as husband and wife. See, that's the Genesis 2 pattern. And uh, (laughs) there it is. And so part of what the father provides is this uh, satisfaction and exhilaration. I do not subscribe to the current trendy mode out there that says that God doesn't care who you marry as long as they're saved. I think that's wicked. I, th- I believe that the will of God includes where I live, who I marry, because I have been saved unto good works prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. And I believe that those works include the woman I marry, the children I raise, all things, that my path is in his sight. The, the, the good works that God prepared for Sharon. Before the foundation of the world, she was saved unto good works, prepared beforehand that she should walk in them. And that includes being my wife, being the pastor's wife of this church, okay? Even though pastor's wife doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible, <laughs> okay? Um, but that's a part of the race that's set before us. Run with endurance the race that's set before you. All right. Now, I believe that who we marry is there. God has designed. Some people don't teach that that way. Some people teach it. They, they put marriage in the what I call the discretionary will of God. Are you familiar with that terminology? The discretionary will of God. I believe there's a directive will of God. Then there's a permissive will of God when he allows me to sin and go carnal. And then there's the um, overruling will of God when he brings me back to where I need to be in spite of my carnality. But then the discretionary will of God. There, that's huge. The discretionary will of God. And I like to teach the discretionary will of God in terms of who cares? It doesn't matter. You're neither the better if you do nor the worse if you don't. You're neither blessed nor cursed. It is not judged at the judgment seat of Christ. It is completely irrelevant. All right? Like um, I wore a black shirt this morning instead of uh, a purple shirt. All right? I could have worn a green shirt or a blue shirt or, or, or peach or whatever. And I believe in the discretionary will of God, he couldn't care less. All right? That I'm neither blessed for, or cursed. Did you use Crest or, or Colgate toothpaste? Who cares? Just glad you brushed your teeth this morning. <laughs> All right? but, but see, here's the thing. To me, it is so tragic and sad that will of God studies have really been damaged by, by shoving almost everything into the discretionary will of God, including marriage. Hey, whoever you marry, that's not, you know, God doesn't care. Whatever church you go to, no, God doesn't care. Whatever job you work at, whatever town you live in, everything, God wants you to be happy. God wants you just to live your life. Uh, you know, live the word of God, don't be out of fellowship, don't commit sins, and then, hey, you're great. No matter what town you're living in or what job you're working in or what woman you've married or whatever else you're doing. God does not have a personal will for your life. They'll tell you that. And I find that heartbreaking. Because I'm commanded to run with endurance the race that's set before me. I don't just pick out whatever race I want to run. So, of course, Proverbs 5, 19 and 20 is what we're looking at here. It's, um, it's yours. Your fountain, your wife, her breasts or your breasts. All right? It's yours. 
He has provided. It comes from Him. Every good thing bestowed, every perfect gift, it comes from God. So thank Him for it. James 1.17, of course, is the reference on that. Um, Genesis 2.18 and 24, that's our pattern. Genesis 2.18 and 24, when Adam identified, this is now mine. And before uh, he gave the woman, Adam had to name all the animals. And he looked around and said, you know what? This isn't for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've named all these animals and uh, notice that uh, most of them, or nearly all of them, many of them here are in this male-female uh, operation, <laughs> okay? And uh, he's naming all these animals and he realizes, wait a minute, there's no, uh, there's no corresponding to me. And the Lord God said, that's good. Uh, I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> let me let me uh, take care of that now. Why why did he wait until Adam noticed the deficiency? Why not just give the woman on day six what he gave the man? Okay, and we don't know what day this was. I, mean, I believe this was not day seven or day eight. I believe this was down the road. Now some people put it all on day six. Um, I I don't know. I've looked at it, looked at it, looked at it, looked at it many many times, and I've never put this on day six. I, I just can't see it. Whatever the case was, whatever period of time it was that he was alone, he came to a recognition of his own aloneness, and then God said, all right now, and he made provision. And so, um, not good for the man to be alone, I'll make him a helper corresponding to him, suitable to him, and uh, here it was. And uh, verse 22, the Lord God fashioned to a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now that's, I believe that's a type, that's a pattern, that's a principle that God has a design for every man, for every, you know, the colonel taught right man, right woman. I think it's a valid principle that God has designed on the basis of Ephesians 2.10, the, the works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, or the Hebrews 12, the race that's set before us. He brought her to the man and said, here, this is yours. This is my provision, okay? And so if I'm still single, if I'm waiting for that day to come, if I'm looking around trying to figure out which uh, provision God has for me, all right, well, just wait. Ask him. If you lack wisdom, ask. He gives to all generously without reproach. He will give you wisdom in your marital choices. If you want marital wisdom, ask him for it. It's not gonna, you're asking for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. He's not going to trick you into marrying the wrong girl. All right, Matthew 19, 6. The Lord validates the writings of Moses here. Matthew 19, 6. The sodomite crowd likes to deny this. They like to say, well, Jesus never spoke against homosexuality. Yes, he did. He said from the beginning it was one man and one woman. And I love this. Matthew 19, verse 4, have you not read? <laughs> Just throw it in their face. These are the, the most well-read, uh, educated, intellectual types of his generation. And he says, have you not read? You know, like uh, coming to some PhD in literature and asking if he, was, if he knew anything about Dick and Jane or something from first grade, you know. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? The design is a male-female combination. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. 
They're removing husband and wife as language terms in uh, marriage licenses now. Well, it's not Scripture, okay? And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God, notice who's working in this? God has joined together. God is the one that knits those souls together. Then it says, let no man separate. Don't produce the soul damage that divorce accomplishes. Because God has knit those souls together. So since the Father has designed this, the Father has provided this, the Father is not withholding any good thing from those who love Him, why am I searching for an alternative? Alternative is just code for sin. All right, if it misses the mark, it's sin. And then 1 Corinthians 7, 2. We've seen it repeatedly in this uh, Acts 5, or Proverbs 5 development. 1 Corinthians 7, if you're single, don't touch. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 is the single man. It is good for a single man not to touch a woman. Okay? Hands off. No touch. Wait till after marriage. Okay? But because of fornications, each married man, each man is to have his own wife. So if you're a single man without a wife, hands off. If you're a married man, you have a wife, hands on, but only on her. Okay? His own wife. That's the one you have. And each woman is to have to have and to hold, okay? Sleep with her own husband. Because God has provided it. This is God's design. So this is what he's provided for satisfaction. This is what he's provided for exhilaration. And when I'm going out of his plan to try to find something else, I'm wrong. All of a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, including his sex life, Proverbs 5.21. All of a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, including his sex life. The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He watches all his past. Proverbs 5.21 is in the context of um, what bosom he's embracing. Okay? The eyes of the Lord are watching the bosom you're embracing. And it's not the bosom he provided for you. And you're going to be caught. You're absolutely going to be caught. The sneakiest of every adulterer is already caught because God sees all of this stuff. And you can hide it from your pastor. You can hide it from your wife. You can hide it from your boss. You can hide it from whatever. All right. Although some hacker will come along and bust the, uh, that adultery website, that, uh, that big scandal now that the, uh, the, the, the adultery website has now been hacked. And all the user logins and passwords and contact lists and all of that stuff is now vulnerable to these hackers. And so however many hundred and, no, 300 and however many thousand subscribers there are to this, uh, this adultery website. Now, uh, imagine they're nervous, I don't know. All right. No, but they were caught before the hackers busted the, the adultery website. They were caught when the God of the universe who watches all their ways observed all their ways. 
they were caught. Sexual sins are binding. We have language here of capture, held, and cords. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cords of his sin. Sexual sins are binding. This is what makes it unfortunate, you know. It's uh, it's most often, or frequently, it's the case that people involved in this kind of stuff, they know better. They know better, but they're bound. They've bound themselves. Their own sins have bound them. They're, they're reaping the consequences of, of bad choices. And they're making bad choices, and that's leading to worse choices because they found themselves bound. And now they're involved in stuff, and they're really not happy with it, but what else are they going to do? They've, uh, they're reaping what they've sown. So not only do we have the language of it here, but it's... Uh, consistent old testament and new testament psalms 9 psalm 81 romans 1 the enslaving nature of of this this kind of sin psalm 9 15 and 16 You know, part of uh, being a volitional realm of creation is uh, being held accountable for choices we make. Part of the uh, every good thing bestowed, every perfect gift, that starts with volition. It's a good thing that we have choices and the capacity to not only make choices, but then the capacity to accept the consequences of the choices we've made. That is a good thing, a perfect thing bestowed. We may not like it. But if the the consequences are uh, damaging and destructive, well, then we better learn from it, make better choices next time. So in Psalm 9, 15 and 16, the nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made. Who dug that pit? (laughs) Okay. Who who do you got to blame for yourself, right? In the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. They themselves have done this. It's consequences of their own choices. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment in the work of his own hands. The wicked is snared. The very activity of God allowing this is testimony to what, the God, to what God designed in causing us to be accountable for our own choices. Moral beings, angelity and humanity are the moral beings in God's creation. And there it is. God, and, and God makes himself known in that. In some respects, this may even lead to uh, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If a person in darkness just gets so sick and tired of their own misery, you know, then an evangelist can come along and say, let me tell you something. There's an abundant life that's been provided for, but it's been provided for by Jesus Christ. And the Lord has made himself known. How about that? What a What a provision. But there's nothing worse. In some cases, too, the, um, what God does when we wake up and when we see, man, I did this, I did this. You know, I dug this pit, I laid that net, and here I am. Okay? And we get to a point where we can't be like Eve blaming the serpent or Adam blaming Eve or doing whatever. We just say, look, I dug this pit, I'm caught in it. <laughs> like driving a Humvee into a foxhole you knew was there. 
which I had done once upon a time, and that was a, a tragic thing. All right, Psalm 81 12. Ask me after class. I'll tell that story after class. I'm running out of time. Proverbs 81 12. Not Proverbs, Psalms. Psalms 81 12. Yeah, good luck finding Proverbs 81. That's, uh, that's about 50 more chapters than I have in my Bible. Psalm 81. There's so much in this. Um, anyway, I'll just pick up on everything that God has done for them, and yet they, they are a redeemed people. In, in 1 through 10, they are a redeemed people. He brought them out of Egypt. They should celebrate that. They should identify that, that they belong to Him. Uh, it's verse 10, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And we can, we can accept this as the pattern, as the typology for our own salvation, our own walk. God's the one who delivered us out of the slave market of sin. We are now born-again believers in Jesus Christ. And the God who saved us is the God who provides. He's the God who feeds us. He's the God who gives us all things necessary for life and godliness. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So you are a redeemed person, but you're not embracing what he's provided. You're not even listening to his word. So, what does it say in verse 12? I kicked them back to Egypt. I booted them out. I I rejected them as a people. I sent them back to bondage. They lost their salvation. No. I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. If you are a redeemed people, if he is your father, then you operate on his terms. And that means you make choices and you face consequences. God made the choice to create volitional humanity and the consequences was he had to kill his son on the cross. You ever think about that? God is a God of choices and consequences. That's how he operates. That's how Jesus Christ operates. That's how he expects us to operate. So I gave them over, it says the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices oh that my people would listen to me that israel would walk in my ways i would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries but i'm not why not because i'm giving them over to their ways your ways are not my ways as the heavens are higher than the earth we understand these principles those who hate the lord would pretend obedience to him you understand that? We, uh, it's, a, it's a hate application when we're being the hypocrites and we're being the phonies. We put on a show and we go to church, but we're really just living this profligate life. That's a hatred. And those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him and their time of punishment would be forever. See, there's no, the reason why is because there's no repentance as long as you're faking it. So the punishment lasts forever. So you quit faking it and confess and repent and get back right with the Lord again. Finally then, Romans 1. And this triple giving over. I've taught this several times. It's easy to find. I like it because who can't find Romans, right? And if you can't find Romans and you can't find Romans chapter 1, uh, you've got bigger problems. But Romans chapter 1, it's easy to find. It's easy to spot. You can put your finger on here. You can show it to your neighbor. Show it to your friend. Verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. There they are. And in my Bible, anyway, they're all um, the, the verse numbers are bold as, as paragraph headings. 24, 26, 28. Therefore, God gave them over 
Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over. Verse 28, God gave them over. Giving over, giving over, giving over. This is the consequences. This is what we're dealing with. Sexual sins are binding, and God gives us over. And you notice it gets worse each each time the the giving over takes place. Um, In verse 24, it's to the lust of their heart, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. You know, are we concerned about our teenagers? Are we concerned about our kids and what they might be doing? Well, yeah. But even more so than what they're physically doing is is the heart. If the heart's right, I'm not worried so much about the the physical, (laughs) okay? Because I know the heart's right. I know the heart's where it needs to be. They're not given over. So that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 26, God gave them over to degrading passions. Now what's designed to be satisfying, what's designed to be exhilarating, is not degrading. Why are they finding you know, degrading passions is an, another one of those almost oxymoronic terms. A passion shouldn't be degrading. Why, why would you take pleasure in what is degrading? Why, do you, why are you stimulated by what is degrading? But see, that's the second step in the, in the giving over. That's the second giving over. And that's what the, the homosexuality and lesbianism is about here in verses 26 and 27. Uh, verse 24 is just your generic fornication, but now we're getting into the degrading fornications. And then verse 28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over now to a depraved mind. And now the mind is darkened. Now the mind itself is depraved. It's not just, it's one thing to have, to be pursuing degrading things, but now your mind itself is depraved. And it's uh, yeah, barn door wide open after that. You look at the list of things there in 28 through 31. All right, sexual sins are binding. Finally, the epitaph. The epitaph for this man's sad death highlights his own stupidity. Highlights his own stupidity. Here's his epitaph in verse 23. You could put this on his tombstone, right? This is That's an epitaph you have... Uh, famous last words or <laughs> some other kind of statement that's put on the, uh, on the tombstone. The epitaph for this man's sad death highlights his own stupidity. See, it's not, it wasn't necessary. None of this was necessary. He will die for a lack of instruction. Now, if you think about it, why did he lack instruction? Because the instruction wasn't lacking. His parents were warning him. The the instruction was abundant. The warnings were given. The parents were faithful. But he wasn't listening. See, the reason why it lacked was because he wasn't accepting the instruction that was there. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. It's one thing, I mean, how stupid can you be? (laughs) The greatness of his folly. You know, there's... there's, there's, um, Minimal degrees of, of stupidity, moderate degrees of stupidity, and then there's epic stupidity. <laughs> okay. And you reach epic levels of stupidity when you have godly parents that have grounded you in the truth of the Word of God, 
when you have faithful pastors that have been teaching the Word of God and you're dumping all that to worship the God of your own appetite. This is the greatness of his folly where he goes astray. They'll come back again as a concept in chapter 16. Proverbs 16, 22. Talk about a great fool. I always wondered about that. Why does anybody ever attach a noun after great? You know? Alexander the Great. The great drunkard. Right? The great whatever. Nobody ever attaches a noun after they just use it as a substantive adjective. The great. All right. The great big fat idiot, you know, or whatever. 1622. Almost done. Um, understanding is a fountain of life to the one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. We talk about the fool and his folly and the greatness of a fool with his folly. It's just discipline. But it's a contrast with the fountain of life. It's the contrast with the understanding from Proverbs, from wisdom. And which path do you want to take? (laughs) Choose you this day whom you will serve. Pick which path you want to be on. The fountain of life in terms of understanding or discipline of the fools, which is his folly. It's a contrast. So stupid, so unnecessary. All right. Uh, When we get into chapter 6, next week we'll start chapter 6, and we lay off the sex stuff for a while. It will uh, come back again in, uh, oh, 23, I guess, 24. There's the evil woman in 24 and the adulteress in 24. So we get back to it again at the end of the chapter. But for the first 19 verses anyway, the first 22 verses, um, we get more into practical aspects of life. If you become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger. What happens if you're in debt up to your ears and you're struggling to pay the bills and uh, the bank wants to know when your next mortgage payment is coming and, and uh, you'd like to make that, but you already promised it to the car company or you already promised it to the furniture company or you already promised it to the, to the loan shark down the street. Um, eventually, you're running out of people to make promises to. And um, we've got other things that are happening there. So we're going to talk about debt. We're going to talk about uh, laziness and slumber. We're talking about poverty, different things. The Belials, the worthless persons in verse 12. And uh, yeah. And then the uh, six things the Lord hates, seven, which are an abomination to him. Got that coming up. So it's a good chapter. And then, like I say, we'll get back to the Young man warning him against the uh, adultery stuff. Again and again and again and again. Chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 9. Why is it again and again and again in these early chapters? Because young people need to have it pounded into them. (laughs) All right, that's how it works. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your truth, for your faithfulness. Father, uh, continue to bless these studies and provide. Provide, Father, for, uh, for each one of us and uh, in the generations to come, Father, as we, uh, as our light shines brighter and brighter, our culture is getting darker and darker, and there may come a day that even marriage itself becomes meaningless and, and non-existent. So, Father, uh, just be faithful as we, uh, as we stand for your truth. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.